0: do better welcome to do better podcast a digital content hub from asade built for minds interested in doing better knowledge ideas perspectives and research insights on topics that matter business advice for better decisions and growth latest on the world of innovation and ideas a look inside a global world beyond borders and an open view on social challenges You can leave your comments and suggestions on dobetter.esade.edu. Welcome to a new episode of the Do Better podcast. Since the closing of COP26 a few weeks ago, we now have the chance to discuss the conclusions of this crucial climate event with Marie von der Driste. Marie is a senior researcher at Esade Geo and a specialist in the relationship between energy, climate change, global governance, and geopolitics.
1: Although United Nations climate change conferences are held every year, the 2021 edition was a special one since countries were due to submit new plans to try to reach the very urgent global climate goals. Was COP26 the last chance to tackle climate change through international cooperation? So, uh, thanks for
2: this question. I think it's an important one. I think it's uh, risky to a certain extent to frame this conference as the last chance. So I think it's very important to mark the urgency of this conference, no doubt, but framing it as the last chance is risky because if the negotiations don't meet the level of ambition that we need, what do we do? Do we despair? Do we go to the mode of inaction? Uh, Of course, that's not desirable either, right? So I think there's a fine line that we need to tread Uh, between those those two sides of things climate change is a difficult topic to to tackle very very difficult and the framing is is very important so um yes the time is running out to take the action necessary to avoid the worst uh consequences of of global warming Uh, that is that is absolutely certain Um, and this is because climate change is a cumulative problem Right, So the emissions that we emit today, they remain in the atmosphere for tens or hundreds of years. And they continue, therefore, um, creating the, the, the global warming effect. In other words, um, if we want to take action, it needs to be now. We've already warmed the planet by 1.1 to 1.2 degrees. Our goal is to make sure that it does not warm further than 1.5 or 2 degrees. So you see that our gap is, is quite small. And this is why the urgency is, is absolutely primordial. Um, However, despairing that these massive negotiations evolving um, almost 200 countries do not reach the ambition necessary um, at the moment of the of the particular conference cannot lead to inaction that would be counterproductive results as well right so. of to, to wrap up, what we really need is action at every single level. We need it at these COP conferences, we need it at the national level, we need it at the city level, we need it at company level, we need it at individual level. Every single little bit helps. Since this is so urgent, uh, we need to be working towards this from
0: all angles at all moments. The analysis of the conference in the media highlights how this encounter was extremely necessary but at the same time It has not solved many practical questions. Could you agree on that statement? So um, perhaps let me just frame COP26 for
2: a moment. So um, as as you said before, uh, the UN conferences are climate, they're held every single year. Uh, Last year was an exception due to the uh, coronavirus crisis, of course. Um, Now, COP26, this particular COP, um, was important because of the cycle of conferences established after the Paris Agreement. So the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015. Uh, It really was quite innovative and a breakthrough when it came to climate change, global governance of climate change in the world. And it established a system whereby countries have to submit new national plans every five years with more ambition in terms of their climate action. Um, Given that the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015, obviously 2020 was the year in which those new plans needed to be delivered. 2020 uh, was the, the coronavirus year, and so 2021 COP26 in Glasgow became this critical moment to see whether countries were living up to what they needed to live up to, whether they were delivering uh, those more ambitious commitments, right? So, so just to frame that as why this cop was, was so critical. Now, let's take a look at the, at the outcomes. Um, if the question is, did COP26 succeed in limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, which is the most ambitious of the goals in the Paris Agreement, then the answer is no. Um, But did it bring us a little bit closer to that goal? And did the ambition of countries increase? Yes. So I think we need to take quite a balanced perspective on this. And if we look at it from a kind of global governance point of view, we can certainly say that the COP26 was mildly successful. So one of the ambitions at COP26 was to finalize the rules for the implementation of PARIS. So six years after the PARIS agreement, we still had to finalize rules of implementation, such as um, international carbon markets. That was a really tricky point. It created major problems at COP25 in Madrid um, two years ago. And this time in Glasgow, negotiators were able to find an agreement on this and a few other sticking points to make it possible to implement PARIS. So in that sense, that is a positive outcome. On the other hand, we also got a political agreement, cover agreement for the entire negotiations, um, which included two important elements, I would say. Um, One is that it's the first political agreement um, in this kind of context that mentions, in particular, fossil fuels in the cover agreement, right? So there's a mention to um, phasing down uh, coal power generation and inefficient fossil fuel subsidies. Um, Perhaps you'll have heard that there was quite some controversy uh, in the final moments of the conference on the actual term, whether it was phase down or phase out. But regardless of that controversy, the fact that this appears for the first time in this decision is important. Um, And another point that I think we need to highlight is that um, the Glasgow outcome has actually increased the rhythm to some extent of the Paris agreement. So where I said before that um, countries are supposed to um, deliver new plans every five years, in fact, the Glasgow outcome has requested countries to submit a new and more ambitious plan uh, in a year's time by our next COP, which is in Egypt, um, in November next year. Um, so that's accelerating that rhythm of ratcheting up the ambition. Um, and I think that's, um, that's a recognition of the urgency of this problem. It's a recognition that um, a step was taken at this conference. The ambition was increased, but it's not enough. Right? Um, So uh, I think it's important that we we highlight that point. Um, I also think that it's something that we will be expecting to see um, difficulties with in 2022, because um, boosting that ambition in one year's time for these countries is is not going to be simple. So it's certainly going to be something on top of the agenda. Um, So so overall, I think that these are kind of uh, points of, of, of mild success within the global governance outcome. And and coming back to the ambition point, um, the ambition did raise, did increase with respect to that first round of national plans submitted in 2015, right? So right before um, the Glasgow conference, uh, the calculation was made that if all of the national plans were implemented, it would lead to an increase in temperature of 2.7 degrees above pre-industrial levels, far too high as we know. Now, based on the commitments that came in uh, kind of during the conference, right before the conference, et cetera, et cetera, one of the most influential groups that calculates these things, um, Carbon Action Tracker, has calculated that um, if governments meet all of their 2030 targets, then we'd be heading to a scenario of 2.4 degrees. Now, 0.3 might not seem like a lot, but it's significant. Every little piece of a degree counts in this fight. right? And then there's even more optimistic predictions, uh, which came out during the conference, uh, but which we should look at with uh, quite some caution that if if all of the pledges are implemented, all these net zero commitments, et cetera, et cetera, then we might be able to limit um, global warming to under two degrees. However, there's a lot of ifs in that um, equation. So I think it's safer to work with that 2.4 kind of calculation that I was talking about.
1: Is the model of the panel the right one, since it does not determinate the quantity and the timings for each country to cut down its emissions?
2: So the Paris model, um, so this, this goes back to uh, kind of the history of uh, the UN climate negotiations. The Paris model came about after a series of attempts towards other models. So the first model that came into play when we're talking about the global governance of climate change was the Kyoto protocol. And that was kind of a very classic model where um, uh, a number of countries, only developed countries, in this case, the ones that needed to start taking the action at that point. Um, So it was about uh, 37 countries, I believe. They committed to reducing their emissions by x percent. So every single country had an individual commitment uh, that they had to live up to. There was a compliance mechanism, et cetera, et cetera. It took a long time to put that into place. Uh, There's a long history there. I won't go into it. Um, But after that, um, it was clearly um, necessary to to move beyond that model. We can't just have 37 countries um, reducing their emissions, and particularly when the balance of emissions is changing due to the weight of the global economy also changing. right? So at this point, countries started to talk about a different model, um, where we would try to do a Kyoto-type model, a top-down model, for all of the countries in the world. And they worked towards that um, and it failed, honestly. So there came a point, um, the the conference in Copenhagen in 2009 is that crisis point where the ambition was that a universal and binding agreement would be reached with all countries in the world. And that uh, climate conference uh, did, did not work, it was a failure. And it became clear that it wasn't going to work. That model would not work, countries would not accept um, that these limits are placed upon them. So um, this is when we started to see a different model starting to emerge. And we started to see a model where um, countries were willing to work on climate, um, but not if that was obliged from the top down. And so what we started to see was a bottom-up um, model where countries, they, um, they, they submitted plans saying what they were willing and able to do in climate action. So each country submits their own plan, And the idea is that collectively, that's supposed to add up to a global goal. So the Paris Agreement is precisely this, it's a hybrid model. There is a global goal and the global goal is that we need to limit um, the global temperature rise to 1.5 or two degrees Celsius above pre industrial levels. But the way to achieve it is not by obliging countries to take on specific reductions, it's by countries making commitments from the bottom up based on what they can and are willing to do. Now, the question is, of course, if there's gonna be a gap between the goal and the sum of those plans. The answer is yes, there is still a gap. So that's that 2.4 we, we were talking about, now, right? But with the ratchet mechanism of Paris, trying to get that ambition to scale up, the idea is that we will be able to match the national plans to the global goal. Um, so to kind of come back to, to your question, is this the right model? It's the model that um, was, feasible and possible with all of these countries at that
0: moment in time. It can work if countries put the right amount of ambition into it. Countries like India, Indonesia or South Africa need to accelerate their shift from the energy generated by coal and other fossil sources to a more sustainable energetic system. For example, during the conference, India's leader Modi made a pledge to reach net zero emissions by 2070. In the meantime, Developing countries need support to mitigate their emissions and adapt to the effect of those.
2: So um, you're pointing here to the issue, to to multiple issues, but one of them is is finance. Um, So um, just to come back to the base of this, uh, there is a, a basic principle within UNFCCC negotiations that Historically, a set of countries um, started to cause the problem of climate change, and therefore, um, that responsibilities should somehow take that into account. And so given that, as you said, um, emerging and developing countries need support um, to to work towards both mitigation and adaptation, uh, finance is, of course, a central element here, right? Developed countries providing finance to developing and emerging countries. So finance has been a major issue at COP26, um, but it's been an issue at all COPs. So it's just uh, increasing in in importance, right? Um, Now, the issue here is that developed countries promised um, to deliver $100 billion in climate finance per year by 2020. And 2020 has obviously passed, and that commitment has not been met. So they're not reaching that level yet understandably developing uh, countries um, see it as a prerequisite or a precondition um, for further action that this finance is is delivered right so at COP26 it emerged that that target is going to be met in either 2022 or 2023 um, but obviously um, it's a disappointment that that wasn't met on time right now even if this goal is now met by 2022 or 2023, it's pretty clear that the financial needs are going to be even greater than that, than those hundred billion. So some very large numbers on what the climate finance needs uh, in the future um, are going to be, were floating around at COP26. So what was agreed in the end uh, at COP26, I mean, this is an important issue, it was discussed on many, many levels, um, is that a new goal for climate finance after 2025 will begin to be negotiated. And that's going to be probably a different number in a different format. And another component uh, to take into account here is how much of that finance goes towards adaptation and how much goes towards mitigation. Classically, most finance has gone towards mitigation, but as the effects of climate change um, take hold, adaptation becomes ever more critical and therefore a different split is going to be needed.
1: United States and China announced at COP26 a common agreement to reduce emissions along this decade. And for the first time, China pledged to develop a plan to reduce its methane emissions. Of course, this deal surprised the entire international community, since those two big powers have historically been rivals. How do you find this milestone? Is it a credible agreement?
2: So um, so yes, this, this joint uh, declaration was certainly a surprise. Um, it was delivered in the second week of the conference, and the surprise was perhaps mainly in its timing to some extent. So we all knew that uh, John Kerry, the US envoy for climate change, had been working already for a long time with his Chinese counterparts to achieve such a joint declaration. However, no joint declaration was made ahead of COP26, So when it finally did arrive in the second week, it was a surprise. Um, I would say that the declaration is important, but mainly for symbolic reasons. Um, So let me compare this for a moment with um, the declaration that happened in 2014 prior to the Paris agreement. So at this stage in 2014, um, President Obama of the US and and Xi of, of China. They together announced their national plans um, to um, work on climate change, and this was really a momentous moment. It was the first time that uh, the number one and the number two emitter in the world, both historical and current, but in swapped positions, um, were announcing that they would together um, were announcing at the same time together that they would work on climate change. It was a moment when China took on his international responsibility in addressing this issue, despite the fact that at the very outset of the problem, it was not a great contributor to it. And it was very much a signal to emerging and developing countries to say, okay, now we have number one and number two on on board, um, a uh, developed and an emerging country, let's go. Um, So at this point, this was an extremely important declaration. Um, Now the situation is different. So as you know, um, President US, uh, U.S. President Trump um, actually uh, left uh, the Paris Agreement, right? Um, and at this point, um, China stepped in to some extent and did continue its commitment to um, UN climate change negotiations, despite the fact that the U.S. was absent. Um, they, In fact, even unilaterally announced a net zero goal by 2060 Um, without the U.S. um, being present. So you see how there's a major difference with back in 2014 um, and then after after all of this. So at this stage, um, both the U.S. and China are, in principle, committed to climate action, although they do have domestic implementation difficulties, both of them, of course, and and ambition still needs to rise, right? Um, Nevertheless, the U.S.-China declaration still has symbolic importance. Right, coming back to this as a motor for the negotiations, a push to get them forward. So when it comes to climate change negotiations, it's important. Um, and when we go into the meat of the declaration, uh, as I said, I mean, of course, it's, uh, it's necessarily vague to some extent, right? Um, there's not too many very, very concrete figures in the declaration. However, it is very good that they'll be cooperating on specific issues. And also um, one of the points um, is the, the methane, Uh, point, right? So China did not sign up to the global pledge on methane, but in this bilateral declaration, it did say it would commit to start to work at the national level on on methane emissions. Um, So overall, I think it's, it's a good sign, and it's symbolic towards negotiations, and it's also symbolic that the US and China, despite their many, many differences uh, and their rivalry, are willing to work together on on this particular point of climate change, which is of of such great importance uh, for the entire world.
0: If you still want to learn more, remember, you can register on our platform, dobetter.asade.edu. That was all for today. Until next time, thank you. better.